Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. What does Jesus want from you? The answer, you get all kinds of answers from that, but I think one of the things that you would be able to say about what does Jesus want from you, I think pretty high on the list, is he wants you to be free. Jesus came to set you free. He came to set me free from the sin that so easily entangles us. We, we want to live for Christ, but we look around and, man, our life can just be such a mess sometimes and we're so bound up by stuff. And Jesus says, I've come uh, because I want to set you free. In Matthew chapter 11, and you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to be here for just a second. If you want to go to Luke chapter 10, you can turn there. But in, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this. This is one of my favorite things in the Bible that Jesus says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will put you to work. Now, you're laughing because you know that's not what that verse says. That is not what that verse says. If you've gone to church for very long, you know that's not how that verse ends. So let's, let's do it the right way. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, give you rest. Now, what's interesting is that word rest does not mean a cessation of work. That's not what it means. When you look that up in Greek, that's not what it means. I looked it up this week. And, and that particular word, when you look it up, it's, it means to relax. Another phrase that is associated with that word is permanent holiday, Right? permanent holiday. So in other words, you could say Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you a permanent holiday. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? See, if you're following Jesus and it results in you being worked up and it results in you being stressed out and it results in you feeling worse about yourself, you're doing it wrong. There's something wrong somewhere because that's not at all what Jesus wants as you follow him. That's not his design for you. Now for some of you, holiday or vacation, you know, I would watch, I know how some of you vacation. You, you go on vacation, you're up every day at like 6.30, getting everybody ready, you're out the door to go to the museum, to the zoo, to see some statue that nobody's ever heard of this guy. You know, you're going to go see, you're doing something every day. You're on the run and you come back and you tell me about your vacation. I'm like, yeah, but when did you do nothing? Like that's what vacation, for the next seven days, that's, my vacation starts on Friday, and for the next, uh, for nine days, pretty much, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that my fire does not get outside the fire ring. That's pretty much my job, right? Like, I don't want to burn down the campground. That's all I'm concerned about. I'm just going to study those flames and think about God. I'm going to have some really good friends around me. We're going to talk about Jesus and, and talk about our families and our kids and just enjoy one another. And I'm not going to do a whole lot. That's vacation to me. Some of you take vacation, you stay home, and you work in your garden, or you work in your yard, or you work on your house, and you're up early, and you work late, and you wear yourself out. And then you're, you say something like this right before you go back to, to, to work. You say, I need to go back to work because I need a vacation from my vacation. That's what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about, but, but you, you had a great time on your vacation. Sometimes you can work really hard and still feel really good. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not, I'm not putting down the fact that you go, go, go all the time. I'm just simply saying that's not how I would do it. That's not what resting is to me, but that might be what resting is to you. Some of you, the harder you work, the better you feel, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but Jesus says, look, you're, you, when you come to me, it's going to feel like a holiday, even though you're doing more 
with what's going on inside your heart, you're just going to feel better. There are two foundational blocks upon which we have a tendency to build our life. I, I don't know if that's the best way to say it. There are two, two ideas that we gravitate to or that we have in play when it comes to our Christian walk. And you are going to basically find your life on one of these or the other. Sometimes you're in the middle, but usually you're at one place or the other. And these are foundational to understand what I'm talking about today. So as I say these, get these in your head because I'm going to say these two words over and over again and I want you to know what they mean, okay? So communion is the first one. The first idea is communion. What I mean by communion is the drive to get close to God which is where we start. We start our Christian faith with this idea that I want to get close to God. What does that look like? And so you spend time, you just, you don't have a whole lot else. You don't know how to do. It's all you got. You just want to get close to God. But then what happens, and this is really what the message is about, is we begin to shift to this other thing. We start to leave communion, and we don't even realize we're doing it, but we start to leave communion, this, this I want to be close to God, and we we move into new territory and notice that my hand is going down, not out. The goal would be that you go out with this idea, but it devolves and it starts to move into what I'm going to call competence, the desire to get busy for God. So you're either in communion where you're desiring to be close to God, or oftentimes you can devolve into competence where you're trying to get busy for God. And it's all cool in the beginning. You start out with Jesus you know, you really don't have anything else. You don't know how to serve. You don't know how to pray. You don't know how to read your Bible or study your Bible. All you know is you love God. And it feels good to be loved by God, and it feels good to be forgiven. But over time, you know, you start going to church, and you learn a little something, and, you, you know, you, you start, somebody does a thing on prayer, and you learn how to pray, and then somebody does it, you go to a class on how to study the Bible, and, you know, you learn how to study your Bible. And, and the next thing you know, you've got some competence. Now you know how to do some stuff. And you start in on doing the stuff and somebody asks you to teach a class or somebody asks you to volunteer in some ministry and you start doing that. And the next thing you know, you look up and you're doing all kinds of competence things, but you realize, wait a minute, my, that, that feeling I had of following Jesus when it was just me and Jesus and I didn't know anything else, that's kind of gone. And so it's cool in the beginning, but we wake up one day and it's not fun anymore. We wake up one day and following Jesus isn't what we signed up for and the magic has gone out of it. And it's just this slow, subtle shift from communion to competence. And when that happens, eventually God will withdraw the fulfillment of your competence to nudge you back to communion. You're good at the competent stuff even. You might even say, I'm good at prayer. I pray every day. I read my Bible. I, I'm going to church. I'm, you might even say, you know, I, I give and I tithe and, and I, I, I do all those things. And usually these things are begun with the purest of motives. But somewhere it becomes more about what we're doing than it is about getting close to God and the fulfillment just kind of goes out of all of it. And then it's not long from there where you start asking a question, why am I doing this and is this worth it? I've seen this many times in my own life. This, I've, had to, I've had to, you know, tune in again. I've looked up and realized, man, I've devolved into competence. I'm, I'm trying to do all this stuff for Jesus, but there's no joy in it, and I'm not really enjoying any of it. And what's wrong? Oh, here's what's wrong. I've left my first love. I've left this idea that it was just me and Jesus, and he loves me for me. I don't have to impress him. 
And I don't have to impress anybody else, and I don't have to perform for anybody. I need to get back to where it's just me and Jesus, and we're in communion, and we love each other, and, we, and I'm just, I just am in awe of Jesus again. I just need to spend time with him. So be careful in what you do, because as the novelty wears off of, of your, you know, your first experiences with Jesus, what happens is you can move to a place where you start to feel empty and tired, and you start to wonder, do I even believe this stuff anymore? Well, of course you do. But what's happened is you've gotten away from where you started, because competence cannot fulfill you. Only a relationship with Jesus We'll do that. The biblical illustration of what I'm talking about is Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at this story again. I say again because we just saw this in the Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dive series. This is a, one of the stories that we looked at, and you're going to think, Brett, I don't want to hear the story again. Trust me, we're going to put a completely different lens on it this morning. And hopefully you see this very familiar story. You, you know, if you've gone to church much at all, you've heard this story. But this is, a, 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 this is the perfect example of what I'm talking about this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and there's about uh, six verse, four verses here, four verses. That's why I went to Bible college, so I didn't have to do math. So verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples <clears throat> were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Two foundations that we talked about earlier come into play in this story. Mary and Martha, both followers of Jesus, both very sincere, dedicated followers of Jesus. But the difference is that Mary was driven by a desire to be close to Jesus, and Martha is driven by a desire to get busy for Jesus. And so there's something for us to learn there. Leads us to a question. What caused Martha to be so driven to get busy for Jesus. And to answer that, we need to understand some things. Right before this, um, Luke records his gospel in, in uh, sequential order, in chronological order. So right before this, they have been at the synagogue. Jesus has been at the synagogue, and I'm, I'm assuming that Martha and Mary were there as well. And I'm assuming, I think most, most scholars assume, not that I'm a scholar, but most scholars assume that, that uh, Martha and Mary have heard what Jesus has just said to a large group of people and it's the story where, he, you know, someone asked Jesus in this synagogue, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, you don't even have to go to church very much. You probably know the story of the Good Samaritan. Everybody seems to have some idea of what the Good Samaritan's all about. And it's quite possible that, that Martha has heard Jesus talk about the Good Samaritan in response to this question, who's my neighbor? And she's thinking to herself, if that's what impresses Jesus, then I'm going to be the best neighbor Jesus has ever seen. And he's coming to my house, and so I'm going to cook, and I'm going to just, I'm going to wow him. I'm going to show him. I'm going to put on a show for Jesus. And so Martha is making all these dinner preparations, and we really don't know how many people she's preparing for. Some scholars have estimated that she's preparing for upwards of 70 people, which Hello, I mean, like, that's crazy. So what if we cut that in half and we said 35? 
Watch Brett's math skills here. I'm a ninja. I'm just telling you. That's still a lot, right? What if we cut that in half when we go 16 or 17? That's still a lot. I mean, for me, if we do more than two, that's a lot. Like, I'm overwhelmed. Whew, I can't, you don't want to eat it if I've prepared it for more than two, right? She's going she's gonna to wow Jesus with this meal, and she's busy, and she's working on dinner, and she's setting tables. She's probably put out the good stuff. You can hear her rattling and clanging around. And once in a while, she comes, and she peeks in to see what Jesus is up to. And she wants to see, is Jesus paying any attention to me at all? Does he notice what I'm doing? I'm, I'm working so hard in here, and nobody seems to notice that I'm really working hard in here. What's Jesus doing? And she's peeking in to see what's going on. And every time she peeks in, I think she's getting a little more worked up. I think she's starting to get unsettled in her spirit, and every little peek she takes, it bothers her just a little bit more. See, this is a common thing. I, I've been in the church my whole entire life. I've from the time I was 12, I've helped my home church pour concrete when I was 12 years old for our parking lot, okay? I've seen building projects. I've seen men come together to do project-type things. I've watched this same dynamic I'm about to explain to you happen over and over and over again. Here's how it starts. Some guys in the church, they got a project, and it's, they're going to do this project. They're not going to contract this out. We can do this ourselves. <laughs> And some guys in the church have some tools and some know-how and some expertise, and they're really good. Oh, we, know, we, we knocked this out. We know what we're doing. And they've got, they've got the plan. So there's three types of people that show up at these projects. You've got the alpha males with all the tools and all the know-how, and they are taking charge, and they're ready. Then you've got some other guys that have some tools and some know-how, and they're there to assist and do some things. And then you've got guys like me. i got some tools. i got a little know-how, but... You, you really don't, you don't want to live in something I made, okay? I'm just telling you. Um, I'm the guy that fetches extension cords. I'm the guy that will, you know, I'm the muscle. Can't you tell? I'm the muscle. I'm the guy that holds things in place while other guys are, you know, measuring and drilling and all that. I'm the guy that, that helps. Once in a while, I might be, you could say, hey, Brett, can you screw that in or whatever? Yeah, I can do that, but, but you don't want me doing really involved things. But there's all those different kinds of people. And so if this project is going to take two weeks, everybody starts on the first day, and it's awesome, and we're going to do this thing, and God, we're just going to glorify God, and it's going to be awesome. And then by day four or day five, not as many people are coming on day four and five as came on day one. And now what happens is we're sawing on things and we're looking around and there aren't as many people and discussions start to happen. And the discussions aren't, oh, we're just going to glorify Jesus and isn't it just wonderful to be able to work for God and it's just great to use my skills and my gifts to help God out. Now the conversations are, I wonder where so-and-so is. Well, this ain't very important to him. I thought he really, I thought he loved Jesus. Well, he's not even here. I haven't seen him in two days. And so-and-so didn't even sign up for this project. Well, where his head is at? You know, they just leave it to us. Well, we're the only, you know, and what they're saying, they don't say it quite like this because they know they can't because it doesn't sound spiritual, but what they're trying to say is, we're the spiritual ones, right? Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And what's happened is they've shifted from communion. We're going to do this great thing for God to, hey, look at me. Look at us. Look what we're doing. They've moved into competence. Now, not only is Jesus not noticing Martha, 
But Martha, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's not lifting a finger to help Martha. She, she, that's not on her radar at all. And you just wonder what went through Martha's mind. I can't believe she's not in here helping me. How dare her sit at the feet of Jesus and not come in here and lift a finger to help me? And him, what's he doing sitting in there letting her sit like that? He should have her up in here helping me. That's what should be going on. I've heard this before. I'm trying to do a big thing for God and no one is helping me. See, I've been a pastor a long time and I've watched lay people try to start ministries. They, in, con, in communion, they hear something from God and God gives them this, this direction. Hey, you should start this ministry. You should do this thing. And they come to me and Brett, do you care if I do this thing and start this thing? No, it'd be great. You go right ahead. I'll support you any way I can. And they plan and they pray over it and they're going to do it and it's going to be awesome. And in their head, they've got these massive expectations. I think they see thousands of people coming to their ministry thing, even though we're a church in the hundreds, right? They expect thousands of people to respond. And then they, they launch, the launch day comes. And they launch their ministry and they can't wait to see how it all goes. And two people show up. And then they come to me, crestfallen. Just can't believe it. Brett, what happened? What, what did I do wrong? What's, what's, what's wrong? And I say, welcome to ministry. That's what ministry is. You have big plans, big dreams. You want everybody involved, but not everybody gets involved. So when the one or two show up, you pour into them. You just pour into them. Look, I, I used to really, I used to care a lot more about how many of you were sitting out there. Now, to be fair, preachers love preaching to big crowds. It's just fun. There's more, you just, it's more fun. And I heard Andy Stanley say one time, if you want, you know, if you want more of a crowd, just make smaller buildings. You'll have, you know, they'll be all bunched together. If you want a full room, that's how you do it. I used to really care about how many were in the room, but I've, I've said this to people just, I, I've said it to, you know, our, our staff, I've said it to volunteers, however many people show up for your thing, if you're disappointed, don't let that show pour into whoever shows up. Just pour yourself into whoever shows up. Now, Martha comes in and she says, Lord, don't you care? <laughs> now, I'm just guessing that what Jesus says next is probably not what Martha expected Jesus to say next. I think Martha has an expectation in her mind that she's going to come in and get on Jesus about this, and Jesus' response is going to be, I, Martha, I am so sorry. I did not realize you were in there by yourself. Mary, this is your house. That's your sister. You should be in there helping her. I mean, don't sit here with me. Get in there. Martha, Martha's doing this all by herself. See, Martha wants justice. We defined justice a couple of weeks ago. Martha is saying, come on, Jesus, make this right. Make this right. That's really what Martha's trying to say. Now, Jesus does not respond the way Martha wants Jesus to respond. And you know what? Martha was not serving out of love and communion. Martha is now performing. There's a big difference between performing and serving. We talk about serving at church. We don't talk about performing. Performance is done out of human obligation. Performance is done from human strength. Performance is done, um, and, and usually what happens, in you know you're in performance mode when you do something for God, and what you really feel is resentment that people aren't noticing. 
If you've ever done ministry or if you've ever done anything for God and you got to a place somewhere, this, you know, the devil whispers this thing like, you, you realize nobody cares. You realize nobody's watching. You realize nobody's giving you credit. You realize nobody's talking about you. You realize that this isn't, you know, that's all the devil just, just trying to get in under your skin. And when you start believing and buying into that, you have slipped into performance. You've gone from communion and you've gotten into competence. Service is different than that. Service is done out of gratitude for the grace of God. Performance is all about who's watching. Who's watching me? Who sees me? Performance is done from human strength, and it leads to a place of resentment. But when you serve from a place of communion, this attitude you have is basically what you're saying is, God, this is the least I can do after everything you've done for me. I mean, God, when I consider where I was and what you've done for me, I am just so thrilled. I don't care who sees. I don't care who knows. Martha bursts into the room. She gets on Jesus, and instead of hearing what she wants from Jesus, Jesus says, Martha, you are worried and upset, to which I think Martha said, you think? Yeah, I'm worried and upset. See, Martha's performance for Jesus, had distracted Martha from Jesus. That's what's happened. That describes many Christians. It may describe you this morning. You've gotten so busy performing for Jesus that you got distracted from Jesus. You've moved from this place where you were in communion with Jesus and instead of it going out this way and you're, you're, you know, you're in good step, you're, everything's good and you're, you're doing work, I'm not suggesting I don't want you working for Jesus. Don't, don't take that away from this. You're working, you're, you're, you know, you're doing the stuff, you're serving, you're doing the things, but what happens is it starts to devolve, it starts to go down. We're here in communion and then it just goes down and now we're so focused on the work that we've lost sight of Jesus. And that's kind of where Martha gets to. Jesus says, Martha, look at your sister. Verse 42, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. Now you're Martha. You have just come in and you are are getting after Jesus and you're expecting him to snap out of it and say, oh, Martha, you're so right. And instead he looks at Mary, the person that you most resent right now because she's not helping you. And he says, she chose the better thing. I would imagine Martha's head was about to explode. Okay. What Jesus is saying is something like this. When you get communion, right, competence will take care of itself. You, you get close to me, and, and, and competence will take care of itself. The, the service thing will be driven by doing the right thing for the right reason. I talk about this all the time. you got to do the right thing for the right reason. Here's what I know. If you, do the wrong, if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, you will not do the right thing for very long. I don't care if it's trying to lose weight. I don't care if it's... I've talked to people who are uh, like coaches for people who are addicted, and I've heard them say, a person who's addicted cannot give up their addiction for anyone other than themselves. There's no other motivation. It has to be done for... I'm going to quit for my mama. Then you're not going to quit. Not until you're ready to quit for you. Are you really... Will a, a person, a coach, an addiction coach, will they tell you they're really ready to go now? And, and so... When you try to do the right thing for the wrong reason, here's what I can tell you. You're either going to get exasperated or exhausted or bored 
or distracted, but here's what I can tell you, you won't do it for very long. You won't do the right thing very long if you do it for the wrong reason. I want you to do the right thing for the right reason. And when you do something for the right reason, you can sustain that forever because it fulfills you. It it, it fuels you. He says, you get close to me and all the competence is going to take care of itself. Mary has chosen communion and Martha, that's the better thing. Martha had shifted from communion into competence. And when you do that, you are going to run out of gas in your spiritual life. And you may even run out of gas in your physical life. I know that this is something that I fight on a regular basis. It's very easy for me to look up and realize, you know what, Brett? You're worried about who saw that or you're worried about what somebody thinks about that and you're not worried about Jesus right now. And you've left your first love and you've, you've left that idea of just being in communion with him and you've left the idea of serving him and you've kind of moved into this area where you're trying to perform for somebody else. You need to get back up there in communion. Communion where, is where it's at. Now, haven't you ever wondered? I remember when I was in college and I read this story. <laughs> and I wouldn't have said this out loud to anybody, but I would read this story and I would think to myself, well, you know, I kind of side with Martha on this thing. Have you ever read this story and thought, I, I kind of I get where Martha's coming from. I mean, Jesus missed this one. I mean, I know Jesus is perfect and we don't definitely want, don't want to say Jesus messed up. But there's this part of us, right, that goes, I'm not sure Jesus got this one right. Here's what I would tell you. God does not need our help. He spoke the universe into being, okay? He knows how to take care of things. Just prior to this, just a few weeks before this, he fed 5,000 people, right? If he can feed 5,000 people, I think he can take care of 12 or 15 or even 30 or even 70. I think, you know, there's this place where Jesus would have said, you know what, if we need a meal, I can make a meal. It's not time to eat right now. When it's time to eat, I'll say it's time to eat. But right now is a time that we need to be together. You need to be with me. And Martha's not hearing any of that. See, Jesus is not impressed. This is a dangerous thing for a preacher to say because you'll misunderstand it. But I'm going to say it. Jesus is not impressed with our performance. He's just not. Read the Bible and what you'll see is Jesus very seldom compliments or praises someone's performance. Jesus is impressed with faith. Jesus is impressed with relationship, and it's all about communion. And the reason is this. It isn't that Jesus doesn't want you to try to do things and serve and work for him and and get involved, but he says, look, I want you to do this for the right reason, and I want you to have the right motive. There's nothing more disheartening to me as a pastor than watching someone serve in church with the wrong motive. Because you can see it, and you you, you just know this is going to end bad. As you work, I want you, Jesus would say, I want you to focus on me and to fully engage with me because if you aren't, if you keep on that course, you are eventually going to end up resentful, tired, empty, and frustrated. I want to show you an acrostic. You can take this home with you and remember this. You're going to end up fretting. You're going to be frustrated, resentful, empty, and tired. Your natural predisposition as a human being is to enter into relationship with Jesus and then over time have that relationship devolve into trying to work for him and forget that it was all about being with him and being in his presence and being loved. 
And somehow we just, we fall into this thing where we got to work, 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 and who's watching and who's looking, and God, are you impressed with the work I'm doing? And God says, no, I was really impressed when you were meeting with me and you were just content with that. See, some of you grew up in a home like this. Some of you grew up in a home where if you didn't make straight A's, if you didn't make the team, if you weren't the captain, if you weren't the leader of your youth group, if you didn't work, if you didn't do all the right things, then you didn't feel like you got the love that you should have gotten. And some of you would say, you know what, my childhood felt like all I was trying to do was impress my parents enough to get them to love me. Some of you have come out of churches like this. I know where some of you have come from, and you came from a church that basically said, you got to do this, you got to do this, and you got to do this. And if you don't do it, we don't accept you. And you were always trying to measure up, and you were trying to earn your church's respect and care and love. And somewhere along the way for us, it becomes more about what we do, what we do, what we do. And suddenly, we are no longer human beings. We are humans doing. And we've left communion. And we're not following, we're not spending time, and we're not just reveling in the fact that, you know what, God loves me, and I love him, and nothing else matters. And God's saying, look, I just want you to be, I want you to be in relationship with me, I want you to be in communion with me, and if serving takes you to a place of competence that is away from me, then that is not good. Now again, I'm not telling you I don't want you to serve. I do want you to serve. Just as you serve, it's really important that you make sure that you keep it this way and don't let it go down into this thing where it becomes resentful. You're frustrated, you're empty, and you're tired. You want to throw your hands up and say, I quit. I want us all to be competent at something. I want, I want all of you to be able to look at Cross Lane and go, you know what, that's my ministry. That's where I work. That's what I do. This is what I do for God at that place, and I love doing it, and I'm fulfilled by it, and, and, and you know, it's because me and Jesus are getting along. Jesus is saying, look, when you get the communion thing down, the service thing is going to take care of itself, and I'm going to enable you to operate at a much higher level when you are in communion with me. But when you try to do this all by yourself and there's no communion with me, it's going to go south in a hurry. And I'm just telling you, that's no place you want to be. So let me, for the time we have left, and I'm, I'm going to try and do this really quick, I want to break this down for you. I want to give you six juxtapositions between competence and communion. How do you know when you're slipping from communion into competence? And you hear me say six, and you're like, oh, he's just now getting to the points? Trust me, this is going to go really quick, okay? Really quick. Number one, so again, competence, competence is the drive to get busy for God. Who's looking? Who's watching? Communion is the desire to be close to God, to be in relationship with God. Competence thrives on rules and routines. You know you're slipping into competence when out of your spending time with Jesus, you think, you know what, I really should do a Bible reading plan. And you get the Bible reading plan. And you start to follow the Bible reading plan. And you come to the first, you know, you do good for a while, and then one day it's Tuesday and you're tired and you didn't go to bed early enough. You're up much later than a man or a woman of God should have been. And you're yawning and you're reading your thing. And you close the book, you close your Bible, and you couldn't tell me one thing you read. But boy, you can put a check mark by the fact that you read your Bible that day because you fulfilled the obligation. You rung the bell for God. Look, God, what I did for you. I had a quiet time this morning. Look at me. I said a prayer. Now, I like it that you said a prayer. I like it that you were in your Bible. I like it that you're trying to have a, a quiet time. I like it that you're reading your Bible. But if you're doing that, and all you're doing is trying to check a box, God, I did it, 
then you've moved into communion or you've moved into competence, right? Because communion says, I want to be in relationship with God. I want, to, I want this to further my relationship. God, I want you and me to be close. Jesus, I want to hear from you. Here's why I'm so confident in this communion and competence thing. Later in the life of Jesus, this woman, Mary, would do something, maybe even in the same room at which she's sitting at Jesus' feet. It might have even been the same room. She's going to do something. She's going to bring in an alabaster jar of perfume worth a year's wages. She's going to break it open and pour it on the feet of Jesus, and she's going to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair and wipe this perfume off his feet. Now, was that an act of service? Yes, that's an act of service. Do you think that was done with an attitude of, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm about to break this alabaster jar over the feet of Jesus. Aren't I spiritual? I don't think that's what's going on with Mary. I think it's Mary saying, I want to pour everything I have on this man. This is the Savior. This is my Savior. This is my Lord. And I want to honor and worship and adore. And nothing I have is so precious that I wouldn't pour it out on his feet. He's worthy. I think this is Mary's heart. And I think this is what she's about. Everything she has wants to worship and serve Jesus. See, service is different in performance in that performance is done out of human obligation. Service takes you to an extravagant level. Service takes you to a place where you're doing way more than you normally would have. Why are you doing that? We didn't ask you to do that. I know. I just wanted to do a little extra. Service takes you to the place where when you're an employee tomorrow at your place of business, where whoever your boss is, service, here's the difference between service and performance. Performance is 15 minutes before it's time to go home tomorrow, you're going to start getting your purse ready, your stuff, you're going to get everything ready and get ready to walk out the door, and everybody knows you really don't work that last 15 minutes. That's the time we take off, right? That's the, that's the time we start shutting everything down. I worked in a factory one time. And, and about 15 minutes before it was time to clock out, everybody would shut down their machinery and they would all gather around the time clock. Except me, I kept working. I was pushing a broom, I was cleaning my area. I was gonna work until the bell went off. And I had somebody come up to me one day and they said, hey, you realize you're making the rest of us look bad. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, that's not what I'm trying to do at all. I'm not trying to make anybody look bad, but I promised the boss I'd work till five. So I'm gonna work till five. And he rolled his eyes and made some comment, you know, like I'm some kind of idiot, like you don't understand, that's not how we do it. I get that, I understand. But service drives me to go above and beyond, right? What's, what's your service, what's your communion with Christ going to do with you tomorrow at work? Are you going to be a better employee tomorrow at work because of your communion with Christ? If you truly have communion with Christ, you will. If you're in competence with Christ, if you're just, you know, this is you're just going through the motions, you're checking boxes, when you go to work tomorrow, you'll do it halfway. You'll do just what it takes. It's what, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I'm sure Ryan gets the same question. I would be, I was a youth pastor, I would have kids come up to me, and if you don't understand that, that kids have some sexual things on their mind, you don't understand adolescent kids, okay? They do. They're thinking about that stuff. And they would come and they would ask this question. This is paraphrase, but pretty much this is really what they're asking. Brett, how far is too far? How far can I go? How much can we do and still be okay with Jesus? What's a sin and what's not? Really what they're asking is, how close to the line can I get? 
and not fall over, right? And what they're trying to do is they're trying to find the bare minimum. What's the, what's the baseline? What, what, what can I get away with? How, how, how far is too far? She breaks this bottle. Mary breaks this bottle open and she says, look, Jesus says, this act of service will never be forgotten. Martha is in the other room knocking herself out and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things. What's the difference? Isn't dinner much more practical than a bottle of perfume? I mean, isn't what Martha's doing really where the rubber meets the road? And isn't that, it's a practical thing. It's got to be done. The activity, see, the activity is not the issue with God. Whatever you'd really do, that's not really what matters. We've all been given gifts and abilities. We've all got stuff we can do. Some of you can do things that I would look at and go, man, I would give any, I watch these guys and I'm like, I would give anything to be able to do that. And one of the things that happens in church is we start assigning that some are more important than others. Well, Brett must be the most important because he speaks on Sunday morning. No, I'm not any more important than Ryan or Becky or Tracy or any of our staff people. I'm not any more important than those of you who work in the sound booth or in the nursery or at the welcome center. I just happen to be the one who teaches on Sunday. Doesn't make me more important. But, but somehow we kind of get that in our head. God is concerned with what's coming from within us. And with Mary, her act of service is coming from a place of deep relationship with Christ. For Martha, the competence thing was all duty, duty, duty. Jesus, don't you care? Second thing is this. Competence acts out of duty. Communion acts out of devotion. Number three, competence has its motivations, usually guilt. You'll feel guilty if you don't do this. Boy, I didn't do that, man. I feel so bad. The motivation for communion is usually gratitude. God, after everything you've done for me, I am so thankful. It's a joy for me to be the least I could do. Here's what I think Mary was thinking when she broke the alabaster jar. Jesus, if I had two alabaster jars, I would break them both over your feet. It would be the least I could do. Good friend of mine, was going to play for our worship band one time and this was over in the old building and the church was getting ready to start and I heard him say, man, I'm just so fired up that I get to play for Jesus this morning. And I was like, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. You're not playing for any of the people. You're simply playing for, he was so fired up that he just got to worship with his guitar. And I was like, that's it. Number four, competence is about human obligation. Communion is about divine grace. God gives you grace daily to live at a higher level than you could ever live on your own. And that is fueled by the time you spend alone with God. Number, number five, competence brings a comparison to others. Communion brings an acceptance of others. Um, here's what I can tell you, and I mean this. We are a medium-sized church in Terre Haute. There are churches that are bigger than us. There are churches that are smaller than us. Here's what I can tell you. We are not jealous and we are not competing with the churches that are bigger than us. We're not trying to be one of them. We're trying to be what God calls us to be at Cross Lane. And once in a while, somebody will leave here and go to one of the other churches, and in my flesh, I would confess to you, oh, that hurts. But when I'm walking with Jesus, 
When I'm really in communion, here's my attitude. Well, I'm not competing with that church. If they're going to go to church there, that's a good thing. If that's going to help them, then that's a good thing. I don't want to be competing with the other churches, and I'm not competing with the other pastors. Same thing, you know, we don't think we're less than the, the bigger churches. We don't think, well, we're not as good as them, and we don't think we're better than the churches that aren't as big as we are. We want, at Cross Lane, we want all the churches full, and we want all the pastors to succeed. If you ever hear about a pastor that falls or stumbles or doesn't do something right, there's no part of me that goes, yes, that makes me look better. No, I'm heartbroken. Oh, on it. Competence brings comparison to others. Communion brings an acceptance of others. It enables you to celebrate the victories of other people. It's not about you. Number six, competence will lead to tired performance to gain someone's approval, your spouse, your mom and dad, God, your kids, your coworkers. It's just like you're on this treadmill and you can't get fast, far enough fast enough. The result of communion is empowered service as a response to God's love. It's interesting that even though we want communion, we shift to competence. And I've got four more pages of notes. I'm going to quit right here. But I've got two more things I want to say. First one is this. It's easier to follow the rules than it is to follow Jesus. It's easy to lay out the rules and say, look, I'm following the rules. I'm keeping the rules. You wanted me to go to church, Jesus, I went to church. You wanted me to sing, I sang. It's way easier to follow the rules than it is to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is really, really hard. I say that up here all the time, but I really mean that. Now I want to tell you a story. In the story Fiddler on the Roof, if you don't know, it's... it's, there's a part in the story where Reptivia is the dad and he's got these daughters and they're you know, going through this arranged marriage thing and they don't like that. They want to marry for love. They don't want to have their marriage arranged. They don't love that person. They, they want to marry for love. And in their protest, it kind of gets dad thinking about, well, what about my marriage? And what about, you know, how, what about me and my wife? Is it love or is it something else? And so he thinks, you know, I'm just going to go talk to her about it. And he goes up to her and he says, do you love me? And she says, do I love you? Yes, I love you. He says, no, do you love me? And her response is, for 25 years I've darned your socks, cooked your meals, washed your clothes. No, but do you love me? See, what she's saying is, I've got competence for you. I'm doing all this stuff. Doesn't that show you? that I love you, kind of reminds me of some of the, the men that I've heard say, you know, I told my wife in 1972 I love her. I told her if anything changes, I'll let her know, right? No, no. No wonder she doesn't want to be seen with you in public, okay? She's, Reptivia's wife is saying, I'm in, commu- I'm in competence. I'm doing all the things to show you that I love you. And, the, and he, Reptivia is saying, no, that's not what I'm asking. Where's your heart? Are we connected? Do you love me? And I think, you know, last week we looked at Peter on the beach with Jesus. Peter, do you love me? And I think Jesus looks at us and says, 
do you love me? And our response is, for 25 years I've gone to church, read your word, said my prayers. And Jesus looks back and he says, but do you love me? Do you desire to be in communion with me above everything else? Am I the most important, preeminent relationship in your life? And does that relationship fuel every other thing that you do? Does it fuel the rest of your competence so that you don't get resentful and you don't get frustrated and you don't get tired and you don't snap at other people, you don't compare and you don't accuse? Do you serve with a good heart and do you go above and beyond? Because that's what happens when you love me. You spend time with me. You take my energy, my service. I laid my life down for others. Does spending time with me cause you to gladly, gladly lay your life down in service to other people? I don't care if I get recognized. I don't care if, if anybody ever notices. I don't, I'm not competing with anybody else. Do you love me? Do you love me? Are you in communion? Or are you in competence? Let's pray. Father, hard lesson for us. I think most of us, if we're totally honest, we can admit that we, it's easy for us to slip into this place that's not a healthy place for us. We, we, wanna, we, are motiv- we love you, God. We really do. But we... We get distracted by so many things and, and we live in a world where you're supposed to get recognition and you're supposed to be honored and you should get compensated and all that stuff. And, and when you serve and nobody's looking, nobody pays attention and it just kind of seems to go unnoticed. And yet, Lord, that's where you call us. And our hearts can get so out of whack and chances are good that some of us walked in here this morning and we, our hearts are out of whack. Lord, help us to come back to communion with you, where when you say, do you love me? Our answer is yes. And right here at your feet is where I want to be and no place else. And so Father, for the person that's in this room this morning that's never given their life to Christ, I pray that they would understand that, that it's communion that you're calling them to. It's relationship that is fulfilling, joy-filled, drives us to serve others with a glad and cheerful heart. It's not about a list of rules. It's not about some performance. It's not about anything other than receiving your grace and forgiveness and love and then just turning around and seeing how many people we can spread that on and share that with. And Lord, if there's somebody in the room that's never made that decision, I pray that they would. For the rest of us, Father, as we leave this place, may we be taking steps into communion with you, not ringing a bell, not just showing up, but loving you. Pray this in Jesus' name.